welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Have you ever had a question that didn't get a satisfying answer? For example, maybe you were in a situation and you heard someone say to you, no really, it's not you, it's me. And you were wondering, okay, what does that actually mean? Because you could tell maybe there was a smoke screen there. Like, just be honest. Was it the bad breath? Was it my hair? Did I say something? Because I'd really like to know. Maybe you walked into a situation and you ever encountered awkwardness and you're wondering why. Like, were you talking about me or what? You know? Or, or you, and you just really, could, could you just be honest and let me in? Right? Maybe it's about things in this world. Like, I read the, the trib, you know, and, and all I see is things in Springfield. And sometimes I wonder, like, what is actually going on? What do they do? Who's in power? Is anything going on behind the scenes? And I don't know if I sure would like to know a little bit more of why we don't have a budget, right? We don't always have satisfying answers for questions that we have. And now I want to put a spiritual lens on that. Has it ever happened where, where you had a, a legit question for God and, and you really, really, really wanted to know something, but you were left unsatisfied, right? Uh, maybe you were in a Bible study. Maybe you were hearing a sermon. Maybe you were with a pastor, uh, mom or dad, doesn't matter, and, and you really wanted the answer, but for whatever reason, it, they didn't give it to you. Maybe it was a mom or dad who just didn't know, like, uh... Go ask the pastor, I don't know, you know, and uh, just didn't feel sure. Uh, maybe it was a pastor who was feeling insecure and uh, did one of these where just like, don't ask the question. I, I talk with a Christian who I love, um, and, and he references how, how the Jedi masters would do that, how they would just say, the droids you're looking for, they're not here. You know, um, I, I got the picture of it. Come on. It's coming. Ah, there it is. Worth the wait for that Star Wars reference, I know. The droids you're looking for are not here. These are not the questions we ask in church. Don't ask it again. Let's move on. Right? We've all had those experiences where we didn't get the questions that, that, that we needed answered answered. And that's a problem because it isn't helpful to our faith to be shamed for our questions. It isn't helpful to get this impression that questions aren't welcome. No, in fact, questions, if you take anything seriously, will come. If you've ever had questions, you've ever wrestled with something, I want to say, welcome to the club. This is the experience of walking with Jesus who is above us, and questions will come. And do you know, I actually think God honors our questions and our seeking heart. He likes it when we take him so seriously that we just want to know. In fact, I was reading uh, from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah had this to say. He said, uh, you will seek me, and look what will happen, and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. See, what can happen if you have questions is this temptation to either pull away or lean in. And what I believe we should always do is to lean in, that when we have questions, we should begin our quest for answers. 
And that's the reason we're starting this series. This series is for skeptics, for agnostics, for those who wonder why to some really hard and weighty questions. And today's one is pretty, pretty important. I don't know if anyone has ever wrestled with God when they were suffering. I don't know if anyone has ever wrestled and asked, okay, I know God is good, he's all-powerful, and he's loving, so then why this? That's where two ladies are today. Two ladies know God's power, they know his love, but they're left in a circumstance that says, okay, knowing what I know, then you have to be real with me, Jesus. Why this? Well, before we enter that, I want to give you an understanding of what we're actually doing when we go on this quest, okay? And, and, and what we actually do is pictured in the Old Testament. You hear about this guy named Jacob, and, and, and Jacob had this experience where he wrestled with God. And, and it's interesting to consider wrestling with God. That's kind of like a 300-pound uncle wrestling with a toddler, right? Like the only way that wrestling match goes on is when that uncle allows it. Right? And so for whatever reason, uh, Jacob was allowed to wrestle with God. And the uncle proved his power. God proved his power. He just touched the hip and it became dislocated. So he, he, he again knew God's power. But an interesting thing happened. He said, I, I won't let you go. Jacob said this, I won't let you go. And again, he was being allowed to, to be wrestled with it and, and, and under that pressure. But I won't let you go unless you bless me, Jacob said to God. And you know what happened? He was blessed. God acquiesced to his desire. When you seek God and go on that quest, and you say, I won't let you go, I won't let this go until you bless me, what I believe can happen is that you can be blessed when you seek with all your heart that you may find. So, so skeptics, agnostics, stop leaning out, and I invite you to just lean in and go on the quest to see what you might find. Because I think you'll find some blessing. And so we're going to talk now about those sisters. And we're going to lean into God. And uh, what's interesting, and let me set up just their relational aspect, a little bit of the context, is that, um, do you know people who are like so close to you that you call them family? You know, they're not your immediate family. You didn't grow up with them. And sometimes that actually makes them closer, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> but they're so close to you that even though they weren't immediate family, like, they're family. You know what I'm talking about? This was Jesus and these sisters and a man named Lazarus. See, Jesus wasn't born into this family, but when it came to Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I mean, that, that was family. And so what makes this even harder is that when it's coming to a question of love, there is love from Jesus to these sisters. They know it completely. And they also know his power, but again, they don't understand why they're in the circumstance they're in. So let's read a little bit, and uh, we're going to just read the whole section here from John, and then we're going to dig in. All right, so John 11. Let's, let's see what happens. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus, the brother had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, and this just broke my heart when I read it, just consider where she is emotionally and what she does next. And she saw him, the one that he loves. Can't even look in his eyes. No, she just falls at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. This word is powerful, my friends. I'm just praying that you would get everything that is in this passage, everything that is in this word, so that when we come to our encounters with suffering, we know the true heart of God. May God so bless us. How many of you would uh, say you hate to wait for things? Anyone hate to wait along with me? Yeah, and, and there are different things that I hate to wait for. I hate to wait for food when I'm hungry. Can I let you in? Uh, I was uh, working uh, this past week and I forgot to pack a lunch. And uh, so I'm scrounging for food and, and, and there was only one thing that I had and it was some muscle milk shake. And, uh, you know, some people talk about these shakes being meal replacement. You know what I'm saying? They're like meal irritation to me. Like, they, they just kind of, you know, irritate the stomach rumblings. They don't satisfy, you know, and, and all I got is this meal irritation going on, right? The muscle milk. So I get home a little bit early that day. I'm home at 4, and our usual eating time is at 5.30. And, and let me ask you, do you think I wait for the family to eat? Not at all. I don't care manners. I, I, I'm ready to get in trouble if that's what it means because I am hungry, my friends. And so I go to the fridge, I warm up an old brat, I have a granola bar and anything else I can find because I am hungry and I don't want to wait anymore. You know what I'm saying, right? And maybe for you it's, it's that way with food. You know, you just hate to wait to eat, right? Maybe for you it's text messaging. You ever been on a text message and you see the bubble and it never comes back? And they did it just enough to annoy you, like texting irritation, right? Like, what are you thinking? And then like two hours later, and you're like, I'm done with you. This is not how this works, right? We hate to wait, don't we? And we live in a society that, that, that gratifies instantly a lot of our cravings, and that's what we've come accustomed to. Well, what's interesting is it's one thing to wait for a meal. It's one thing to wait for a text message. But let's go back to Mary and Martha's story, and, and it swings a, a serious way real quick. For it's one thing to wait on food and texting, but they are waiting on Jesus the healer to come and heal their brother. Now, every day that Jesus doesn't arrive, he becomes nearer and nearer to death. And they see that. They're witnessing that, and yet they know God's power. Can you imagine the emotion and how hard it was to wait? And then when Jesus finally shows up on the scene, look how long it's been. Verse 17, he says, 
on arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for how many days? That's incredible. That's not making you wait. That's being straight out late. And the narrator even gives us more details about Jesus' lateness. He goes on in the next one to say that Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, a.k.a. he wasn't that far away. Can't make the distance excuse. It wasn't traffic, right? And look at the next one. And many Jews had come to comfort them, a.k.a. a lot of other people showed up. Jesus, where were you four days later? Has God ever made you wait? Maybe you had a situation that you actually saw on the horizon. It was coming. Prayed about it. Said, God, don't let it happen. It happened. And now what? Know what I'm saying? What's interesting, and one of the things about this series, is that you will never understand completely the mind of God, okay? That's not the goal. And you will never put God in the box. Because what is interesting is that even when Jesus shows up, he never answers why he was late. You get that? Even though it's like, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And he never even enters that dialogue. So I was left to conjecture this past week, and I hope you'll put up with some pastoral conjecture. I, I, I asked the question, so why would he make them wait? This is what I came upon, and, and maybe you'll go with me, maybe you won't, and I won't be offended. But here's what I found. Um, I believe that God may allow you to get low so that when you get up, you can never forget why and how. See, it is one thing to be instantly gratified, and when that instant gratification comes, you know this with kids, and they get what they want, they don't need mom anymore, right? They're done. How much of that happens with God? When God instantly gives what we were facing, instantly answers, how many times do we just say, yep, I'm done. Don't need you. But when we get low and then get up in a dramatic way, we never forget that experience. He makes it too intense to forget. And, and it kind of reminds me um, of this topic called ugly or messy crying. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about an ugly cry or a messy sob? It's the type where, like, even if you wanted to, like, talk, you're like, <laughs> you know, and you can't, you know, and, uh, and then you got the tear ducts and you got snot everywhere and, and you're just, you know, and shaking hands and I don't care and hugs and you know what I'm saying, messy sob. Everyone has a messy sob, period. I believe. And, and as a Christian, sometimes you can have these messy sob periods combined with prayer. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. You've been messy sobbing it while talking to Jesus, and it's just, wow, this is intense. This is a new low. And I believe God may allow certain messy sobs to come your way. I believe it. It's not running in the tears and everything. He may allow that. So that when he raises you up, when he answers you, you will never forget why and how. See, this is what I know. It would have been one thing for Jesus to come earlier and heal Lazarus. And very truthfully, they had seen this happen already. This was no big deal. But to see their brother being raised from the dead, do you think they're going to forget that anytime soon? Do you think that they're going to realize that, that, that maybe Jesus is the Savior like never before? That's an experience I would never forget. And I bet if we would just talk with Christians in the room who have been so low and maybe messy crying with God, they could recount how God answered that period like never before when they got out of it.
I bet there would be some stories in the room of how you remembered. You could tell the story of your messy sob and then what he did and how you never forgot it. See, this is what I know about the God we follow. Watch out. Because when he wants to draw close to you and you want to draw close to him, he's going to pull out all the stops and he doesn't care. He may allow some messy sobs if it means he has you that much more. He may allow it if it means he can hold you that closer, if he can show you his power and love like never before. And this is what I believe about why he makes them wait. And I know it's just conjecture. So they never forget the love of God. But the biggest thing that's going on here is Jesus' relational wisdom. Okay, and I want to talk a little bit about relational wisdom. Has anyone ever been a waiter or worked in hospitality? Um, Okay, and uh, I was a college waiter for four years, so it was a consummate exercise. And, um, And really the goal is in reading people. And, um, and what I noticed is that not everyone goes out to eat the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, I don't get these people, but they exist. The people who are like crabby on a Friday night, you know, eating a burger and having a drink. Like, I don't understand why you're sad. You know, that's a good time to me. But, but I would read people who are sad and, and, uh, and I, would, I would enter into that. Or, or there's some people who have a ball. Um, also in the hospitality industry, there, there's some people who really love to talk to the waiter. And they'll just go on and on, and you'll be like, become friends. Some people want nothing to do with you. Like, take my order, get out of my face, right? You know, and uh, you get that impression sometimes, right? And, and it's all across the board. And so, so what I find about people is that not everyone reacts the same to the same situation. Everyone's out having burgers on a Friday night, and the tables are completely different. If that's the same, a smart relational person isn't going to react the same to every situation. No, they're going to understand what's going on and trying to enter in. And so sometimes around the guys, I'd be, you know, talking, dude talk and try to keep it even keel and not too much in your face. And sometimes around, you know, people who are elderly, I'd be very respectful. Or around kids, I'd be goofy, you know. It just, you can change your, your style based on what they need. Back to Jesus. You need to know he is perfect relationally. And that can blow your mind. He knows exactly who you are and how to respond. And we see that in the case of Mary and Martha. Because they're in the same situation. In fact, they say the same thing. The same exact words. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 32, Mary says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. These are the same situations, and yet, Jesus' response is completely different based on that individual. He knows these girls way too well to give them the same kind of interaction. He is too perfect when it comes to relationship. And to the first one, Martha, he gives the ministry of truth. He aligns her focus. He answers her doubts and gives her the truth about who he is. Look at his response. He says, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and he who lives by believing in me will never die. And when translated that, um, it, it made sense to me. I'm like, so you're saying we never die? That doesn't make sense in English. And literally in the Greek it was, though you die, you will not die forever. And I can understand that. Okay? And he gives her that truth. 
And basically what Jesus is saying in the midst of suffering is, though you suffer, I've overcome this situation. I've overcome this that you're going through. Now back to us. I don't know your story. I don't know your season of suffering. I love the old, old church pastor who says, you're either approaching a storm in a storm or coming out of a storm because that's, that's reality. Uh, I don't know where you are today, but you need to hear Jesus tell you directly, I've overcome this. I've overcome this. There are people in the building who may be suffering physically. You need to hear today Jesus call to you directly and say, I've overcome this. Do you know when it comes to your eternal body, you will never have pain again. It will never decay. It will never wear out because I've overcome this. There may be people suffering relationally today. You need to hear Jesus say, I've overcome this. Though all may leave you, forsake you, I never will. And that perfect love you're looking for, it is found in me completely. I've overcome this. Maybe it's a dream that has died. And you thought it was going to go down a certain way and it didn't. You need to hear Jesus say, I've overcome this. And in the future, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him because that's our reality regardless of the dreams that do or don't come true in this quest to find happiness. I've overcome this, Jesus says. And I am with you now and forever. Whatever the situation, whatever the suffering, and we need to know this ministry of truth. We need to hear Jesus tell us today this hope. Because we go through a lot, don't we? But then we have the response to Mary. And the reality is, many of you, if you're Christians, you've considered the ministry of truth a lot. In fact, many of you in suffering will tell me the passages in Romans 8.28 and all these passages. We know the truth, and that's great. But, but this next part is maybe the nuance you need today. You need to see what he does with Mary. For when Mary is upset, when she sees Jesus, and she can't even, she's so emotionally distraught that she can't look him in the face. She's so disappointed, I believe. She doesn't understand. She's reeling, I believe. Can't even look him in the face and just goes to his feet, falls down and weeps. You need to see his reaction. Ready? Verse 34. Or actually, verse 33. So Mary again was messy it. And when Jesus saw her weeping uncontrollably, snot coming out, the Jews who had also come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved. And he was troubled. This is the guy who knows in seconds he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And then verse 35. Let's just read that out loud. Verse 35, let's say it together. One, two, three. Jesus wept. That's the shortest passage in the Bible that most, might be the most insightful to the heart of God during suffering. Shortest passage might be the most insightful when it comes to the heart of God in suffering because the reality about Jesus and his heart for you is that I believe he messy sobs to our messy sob. See, you were crying and you thought you were alone. You, you thought you were the only one who was sad. Jesus, who entered in, became fully man and experienced everything we experience, betrayal and the crushing of dreams and frustration. He sobs with us. 
And it's not a sob of despair or hopelessness. No, it's a sob of true compassion. It's a sob that says, I love you so much, I'll enter in your situation. I'll bear it, I'll understand it, because that's how much I care. See, I guess my wondering today is for the skeptics and agnostics, how many of have believed the lie that God just doesn't care? How many of you signed on because you had an experience that God was cold and calculating? That he kind of just bats an eye and says, ah, other people go through worse, buck up, boy. You need to see Jesus messy sobbing it. You need to see that he cares. You need to see that what sin did to this world was never his plan. We live in a messy world because sin entered in. And so if we've believed the lie that that he doesn't care, we need to leave that here once and for all because the reality is he cares on a higher level than anyone else. The reality is he became the man of suffering so we never have to suffer like he did. And he paid for our true punishment on the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that we could know just how far that compassion went He not only had empathy, but he did something about it. This is the Jesus we've come to worship. And for no other reason, to skeptics and agnostics, I would just have you consider his love. That he did more than your mama did for you. That he has done more than anyone entering in, understanding your pain, and answering it. And here is the answer for all messy sobbers. I love when it comes to Revelation. This was John's picture. Look what he does with our tears. I think God hates our tears to a degree. He hates our sadness because there's be a day when he wipes away every tear. And there will be a day where no more death or mourning or crying or pain will happen because that is gone. Jesus knew our sadness so much that he says, I've overcome this. And he enters into it. But Jesus is better relationally than a lot of guys. Can I dog the guys a little bit? If you're a do- guy in general, sometimes we're fixers, right? And so we talk with women, and we talk with our wives, and we talk with people, and instead of messy sobbing with their messy sob, we just we give them the ministry of truth, don't we? Jesus was better than that, wasn't he? Sometimes the people we experience just need some messy sobbing going on. They don't need to hear the answer. They just need to hear you care. This is Jesus. Would you see his heart today? Would you know he not only has truth that overcomes our situation, but also cares like no one else? But then we need to do something about it. See, I believe we are to be like Jesus in our action. We are to learn from him and then live like him. And so I believe if you're a Christian today, if you call yourself a follower that the first thing you should do is you should look for opportunities to share truth. We live in a world where many people go through their suffering and don't know an adequate answer. I don't know how you deal with the funeral without hearing that there is one who is the resurrection and the life. We have that truth, don't we? I don't know how you go through a divorce without hearing that there is a perfect love, that there is someone who forgives. We have that truth. I don't know how you go through job changes and location changes without knowing that God is always going to go with you and has no problem providing for you. 
We need this ministry of truth to those who God has put in front of us. But then we need to be real with them. And the second thing we need to do is sometimes just be quiet and share our tears. Sometimes we just need to say, uh-huh, I get it. Man, I've been there, and that sucks. We need to empathize with those who are down. I want to close with a story where I had a chance to give both. Uh, sometimes I uh, wish you all could be a pastor just to experience some of the things that I get to experience. And uh, the, the other week, uh, someone came into church and they were in the midst of that suffering period. And, and currently, they, they just needed a meal. And so I'm like, okay, I can, I can do a meal. So we went to Subway and uh, had a healthy meal. I want to give a healthy meal, right? Simple thing. And uh, the first thing I was able to do was just hear of a situation. And I'm a dude, so I didn't actually cry, but I entered in. And I just said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that was going on. I'm sorry that that happened. But that day I had lunch with him, and I was able to combine not only the ministry of tears, but also the ministry of truth. I was able to tell him about a bridge that gets us the way to God because we are forgiven through the cross. I was able to tell him that this situation you're in, Jesus has overcome it. That shame and guilt you feel, Jesus has overcome it. That Jesus, though you don't know if you can believe this, loves you like no one else is not ashamed to call you his child. You know, many days I wonder what difference I'm making, but I didn't wonder that day. When I had the opportunity to share both the ministry of truth and tears, I knew God had used me in a powerful way. I don't say this to pat myself on the back. I say this because I know better Christians in this building. People who have the heart to want to combine the truth with tears. And I'm here to tell you that when we do this as a church, we answer suffering in the way that Jesus did. And we give hope to many, many others. So may God empower us to do that. And now let me pray for you. We close with prayer. Gracious God, thank you for entering in my suffering and just crying with me. Thank you for being so compassionate and tender. But then also thank you for overcoming. Convince me again that no matter what situation I find myself in, you have and you will overcome. Now empower me to also share the same love with those around me, that many more might know and confess what Martha did, that you are the Messiah who has come into the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.